New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. As a young black woman, our guest today was born poor, supposedly unwanted, neglected, marginalized, stigmatized, disenfranchised, and labeled crazy. What led her to not accept these factors in her life and reject that they were going to define all her life? As a child, she navigated 30 foster homes and more than a year in a level 14 residential treatment center, which is the most restrictive out-of-home placement in current California foster home system. She received antipsychotic drugs and was thrown into solitary confinement, yet with all these extreme adversities, she rose above to become a very successful woman in all ways, emotionally, financially, and a blessing to our collective community. Today, I'll be speaking with Regina Louise, who will be sharing her amazing story of moving from being a victim of circumstances and low self-worth to self-determination. She'll share insights and wisdom for us in her hard-fought climb to becoming the authority of her own life. Regina Louise is a teacher and coach on advocacy work. Her memoir was featured in a Lifetime movie, I Am Somebody's Child. She's a Hoffman Process teacher and the author of two memoirs, Somebody's Someone, and Someone Has Led This Child to Believe. And she's the author of Permission Granted, Kick-Ass Strategies to Bootstrap your way to unconditional self-love. Join us for the next hour as we explore giving ourselves permission to be the authority of our own lives with our guest, Regina Louise. I'm speaking with Regina from her home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Regina, may I call you Regina? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I welcome to New Dimensions. Thanks. I'd love for you to to give our listeners a bit of your early life in the adversities you lived through. This will give some like context as to the climb out of poverty, neglect, and isolation that you've come through. Got it. Thank you. Yeah. 
well as you so eloquently recited. I grew up in the foster care system in Texas and made my way to the system in California. And Texas, I was basically born into what is called a kinship home, although the caretaker was no blood relation to my mother. And then I ended up living the same home that my own mother had lived in and suffered, you know, a myriad of abuses, physical, mental, spiritual, as well as extreme neglect. So that was a situation in where the epigenetic fingerprints did not stop with my mother that unfortunately because of the nature of her own trauma, she was unable to protect herself, myself, nor my sister from what we endured. But I decided at a young age that I wasn't gonna, I wasn't down for that. I wasn't interested in being eviscerated so I made a pact with God that should this happen again, should I get hit again? Like, dude, I'm out of here. And uh, I'm, I'm going to get permission. I'm going to give myself permission to, for you to give me permission that because a lot was at stake, right? And who I am today was very much shaped by that decision. And what I mean by that is I don't go back. A relationship implodes. We're not getting back together. A job, you know, it's never like I don't go back. I don't see the need because I know that when I'm present and when I'm in it, I'm giving 100, 1000%, probably too much. So when I'm done, I'm done because that's it. I never went home. I never, I never put myself in harm's way like that again. And I'm sure that's what has been my saving grace. Putting a hand, having a hand in my own, closing the gap on my own disadvantage and understanding at a very young age that I had to be the adult. I had to, like there wasn't a choice. So it's been fancified now and it's called adultification, right? But so many of us as humans, as Americans have been adultified for many different reasons, black, white, first nation, Asian immigrants. So many of us have been adultified and, and, for some, it's, it's like a rite of passage, right? So I would say the biggest, most difficult aspect, most challenging aspect of my upbringing was being forced to be an adult. Right, exactly. And you list some statistic in your book, Black Girls are listed as more mature than other 
other girls of right. other races, so, of other right. uh, other ethnic backgrounds. Right. Criminalized, right? Five times more likely to be criminalized than their white counterparts. They are considered less innocent. Therefore, their innocence is not protected. They are considered more sexually evolved, if you can imagine that. Therefore, they're more likely to be accused even though they are the victim, they're more likely to be accused of luring that type of misfortune onto themselves. It's just unconscionable. It certainly is. You know, Regina, I'd, I'd like to ask you, you seem to have a natural endowment of both vitality and independence. It just is reflected throughout your memoirs and your book and your writing. Where does that come from? You mentioned at some point about how some of us just want to hunker down and sit down and say, oh, these these things are just too much. And I'm just going to act like an old broken down car without any wheels. <laughs> Look, at Look at you, Justine, bringing that metaphor to life. <laughs> right. So to speak to vitality and what was the other? And independence. Vitality and independence of the qualities. So let me speak to independence first. It has taken me to this point in my life to recognize and to say it without breaking my own heart, or even if I say it and break my own heart, to be worthy of, to feel worthy of the weight of my own broken heart, to recognize that, wow, I was alone. I was alone. Like, like, it, like I could break into a straight up, heavy-hearted sigh to say it, to recognize it. I wasn't crazy. I wasn't gaslighting myself. I've, I've been alone my entire life. And, and with that said, the depth of aloneness, the reason human beings run in packs is to not feel what I've experienced. The reason human beings do the things we do, no matter what it is, no matter how ratchet and unconscionable and, and soul crushing the ways in which we give ourselves away, the ways in which we, we wed ourselves to disaster and drama and predators and bullies is to avoid that which I've, I had no choice in dealing with, and that is the depth of aloneness that humans alone can feel and, and suffer from and run from and by all intent and purposes solve to not have to face the depth of the kind of aloneness that myself alone with other displaced and unwanted human beings, no matter 
foster care, diasporas, it doesn't matter, you know? So I think that because I've spent my life healing my aloneness, privileging my aloneness, drowning in my aloneness. And then I say in the book, sometimes you have to be both the swimmer and the lifeguard with a willingness to save yourself. I have been both swimmer and lifeguard, drowning in the lake, the river, the ocean, the vastness of aloneness. And there's a difference between aloneness and being alone. One, that's what we, you know, we all want to teach our children to have some degree of autonomy, right? Which is called learning to be alone, self-soothe, you know, but that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about not having anyone to fall back on. I'm talking about not being protected. I'm talking about being criminalized. I'm talking about having no experiences with paternal figures that mirrored back to me my potential, my possibility on a daily basis. We're going to talk more about that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Regina Louise. She's the author of Permission Granted, Kick-Ass Strategies to bootstrap your way to unconditional self-love. And if you'd like to know more about her work, you can go to her website, IamReginaLouise.com. Or you can give there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. J'examine et je fume. Moi la carabine, ça m'a dit. Lèvres, je vous ai là. Ma poitrine, je m'inquiète. Je vous fais signe. I'm here with Regina Louise. She's the author of Permission Granted. The subtitle of your book is Bootstrapping Your Way to Unconditional Self-Love. I mean, there it is that you did pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I mean, you ran away a lot of times from these foster homes because they were not a pleasant sort of place. And most especially the residential treatment center seemed like the worst of the worst uh, that you were in solitary confinement. You you got drugs at 
And um, you were even labeled an outlaw. I want to ask you, because you mentioned a couple of people in, in the book, and I'm sure that there are some others that sparked, that went to your heart and said, wow, I'm seen here. I'm, I'm actually, somebody is seeing me. And one was um, a former governor of Texas, Ann Richards. Ann Richards. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Yeah, tell us about your encounter with her and how we can help each other, even in these little brief moments when we acknowledge someone. We just don't know what trajectory that's going to send them on. So I, I'd love for you to share uh, anything about your meeting, Ann Richards. Yes, that woman with that beautiful white hair. And that Texas accent. What I loved about her, so I I was the opening speaker and Marley Matlin was the closer and Governor Richards spoke in the middle. And I had no real idea who she, I, I had sort of uh, finessed, let's just say, <laughs> finessed my way into the lineup to begin with. You know, I saw what people couldn't, which was, I can talk. So, excuse me. And there I am. And I did my thing. Then she came up. I remember Mama. Mama was a woman of very few words. You could hear a cotton ball drop on cotton. Thousands of people. Where I had come on stage and I was making jokes about the spanks I was holding my cottage cheese legs in, people were dying, right? They were like, she did not just say that. I even thought that. She came on in a different way. And I've seen some of the best orators in the world. I've seen them in person, tracking, watching how they handle an audience, watching how the, the, the rhythms and tones in which they just snatch the collective air out of the room and change the molecules. I stood and I watched that woman architect the change of molecules like the best. The only person that she would be a rival to is Maya Angelou. I mean, just, just uh, breath snatching. As we say in the black community, snatching those edges, snatching those edges, let's go, where you can't do anything but just <gasps> with bated breath. And I knew when she was done that I would always remember her rhythm and her cadence. And I would never need media training because I would always go and find a way to get in to see the real deal. And from that, let my spirit take from that what, what she needs so that I could I can have a, a toolkit 
you know, a vast array and no one can teach. No, I don't believe anyone could teach that. I think that, at least for me, is something that had to, I had to learn it the way I learned it is by Mm -hmm. going to see these people. She was breathtaking. She said, look, she, she, she engaged with me in a way as though it wasn't the first time she'd ever met me. She spoke to me in a way, darling, darling, as though she was like, I'd always known her. Like she came at me, like she's talking to me like big mama. You know, I grew up with a big mama. You know, she's just a white woman, but she just came in with that, with that draw. You got a story. (laughs) And it was what I needed to hear because that was the first speaking event I ever had. And one that I said, I elbowed or finessed myself into the middle of. And that, that changed my life forever because people have always said, you have such a big personality. You take up so much space. I never understood what that stuff meant. But it was a result of learning all, all of the voices and the personas and the experiences I've had. Now I have the, the, the proper place to put them on stage. Right. In the foster care system, there's no room for that bigness. You've got to be small. You've got to be playing victim and, and all of that. I, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth and well, I don't mean not. to do that. You're putting but words in the mouth of you. All you're really doing is speaking truth to the, to the lack of power of, of a system that that has such a low bar. It's a low bar, let's face it. It's a low bar. And you're just speaking truth to what's true. Well, you know, I I think Ann Richards, when she saw you and after you got off stage and said to you, hey, hey girl, you have a story. And it just like... Um, I just to be seen by yeah. someone you respected so enormously was uh, uh, it's to, a, be, to be on the stage to to be sandwiched. No, I'm sorry to sandwich her because Marley Matley, as I said, uh, she closed to, to be in the company of giants. And then to have the opportunity to, 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 to speak up to that level, oh, talk about an invitation. Like the only thing, like I feel like I've not yet reached the fulcrum of my speaking potential. And the next iteration for me the next challenge is to be offered an opportunity to have a ted talk ted woman so justine toms i'm just going to shamefully self-promote and say justine with that beautiful smile if you know pat mitchell if you know anybody who could possibly would want to partner with me in order to have that opportunity because that's all about That's all about who you know, 
opportunity extended that's the next level for me well I see that for you I just absolutely see that for you that's going to manifest and that's that's kind of like you know I think one of your thing is visualize to you materialize you better better preach it don't preach what you can't teach let's go Exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, I mean, I I see you as a lifelong learner, and I know that your trajectory in your life, it's not a straight line. And I think that it's important to really say that because there are moments zigzag and backsliding and, and so forth. Well, I think, again, you mentioned lifelong learner. I mentioned autodidactic. I think that for me, like the worst thing that could ever happen to my brain is for it to start glitching out because my brain, my intellect, my intellectual curiosity, my intellectual capacity. I am one of the wealthiest women I know because my desire to learn, to know, you know, Dr. Margaret Paul in her seminal workshop, Healing Your Loneness, you know, she has this idea of saying you're, you're either going to be in fear and protect, shutting down, Or you're going to learn and grow. And all I can do daily, all the time, is learn and grow. So the zigzag is part of that. It's not linear, right? For some, perhaps it is. For me, it's not. I didn't graduate college until I was 50-something years old, right? And talk about zigzagging, talk about being a re-entry student while simultaneously traveling around the country speaking while simultaneously writing the next book while simultaneously writing a play and starring in it while simultaneously pitching Hollywood to take the film. And I mean, it's amazing, Justine. Because that zigzag, that left to right, right to left, back, forward, sidestep, it's like it's like one of those uh, shuffle dances, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like one of those. And, and the end point for me is still yet more curiosity. That's the word. That's the word that I would apply to you, that you just remain curious. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just, um, it's one of those attributes. If we can keep that alive and well in our life, we're going to be okay. <laughs> because, uh, yeah. you, know? you know, it's really interesting. The other day I was at work. Right. And, you know, I'm at work doing what I do. And at work, we bump into our colleagues sometimes. We, we bump into other folks' edges and patterns. And 
one of my colleagues made a statement and it threw me off my game because I wasn't comfortable. I didn't agree. I became defensive. And then I thought, well, why am I defending? I know the truth. And But then not only did I become defended, I then entertained vindictiveness. I really want to go into this deeply. We need to take a little break. I'm just reminding our listeners that I'm here with Regina Louise. She's the author of Permission Granted, Kick-Ass Strategies to Bootstrap Your Way to Unconditional Self-Love. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Regina Louise, and we were talking about being triggered. Like you, you were just starting to to say something about being with a colleague, and something was said, and you got triggered. I got hot. That's what I got. I got hot. But understanding that I have these incredible human beings that are relying on me the whole space for them. I I looked at the trigger. I said, oh, okay. I'm not here anymore. And if I'm not here, where am I? Where did that comment take me? So I then stopped and I looked into my psychic landscape, my emotional landscape, and I said, how old am I right now? And I recognized that I was about I was maybe 15 and then I dropped into, you know, what's happening for you, sweet girl. That's, I talked to my emotional self like that. What's happening. And I said, so what, what makes you defend? I said, and it was like, because that's not true. Well, if you know, it's not true. Why are you defending? Because I want to be seen for who I really am. Okay. You want to be seen for who you really are. Is this the time and place to do that? And if you do that, what's the cost to not only you right now, this other person, but also the 24 people that you are all working with? What's that cost? And I thought it's going to change because I I felt the shift. Mm. I felt the internal shift of me going into the pattern of anger, going into the pattern of defensiveness, going into the pattern of I'm going to get you back. The, the vindictive. It's like you picked up your weapons for a moment. That's right. I'm going to get you. And then I, I, what I did is I allowed myself to get that person. Well, go ahead. Well, go ahead and, and get that person, baby girl. If you were going to get that person, what you going to do to him? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to call up the person who that person said, said that. And I'm going to say, did you say that? Oh, you're going to get all telephone on him, baby girl, right? You're going to go all telephone. You know you're going to mess everything up. I'm going to send a company-wide email, and I'm going to say, and for those of you who think 
this. <laughs> oh, I let her go, 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 go. Yeah, get it out. Go ahead and compose the email. And I wrote that email out. And then I threw it in the trash. I visualized my vindictiveness and then I let it go. And then going back to curiosity, when the time was right, I pulled the person aside and said, hey, you have a moment? Yeah. What I'd like to know is, I said, hmm, I'm struggling a bit with what I heard you say. So I'd like to give you the opportunity to share with me what was your intention? Justine, it was beautiful. Wow. You know, um, it just reminds me of the Buddhist principle, skillful means. Oh. Or, or if you ask yourself the question, is this going to be effective? But the whole point, I think, of what you were saying and, and what you write about and, and your whole philosophy, it, it seems a little bit counterintuitive, but you just allowed yourself to internally just go into that little girl, that 15-year-old, and just let her explore without any um, uh, governor, governor on her. Just, just let her go. That's uh. right. And to, to give her the room, which she never had, my girl grew up in solitary confinement. So for my girl to have a voice, to have her say, was tantamount to annihilation. Mm -hmm. So I've obviously grown my youngest self up to be an adult and, and to, to meet me in adulthood when necessary. So by allowing her to act out and to express her own frustration in the face of what she knew not to be true, what I knew not to be true, allowed me then to become curious because I know she didn't know at 15, this is all about that person. Like that comment was so out of pocket. It, it affected my central nervous system. It was like a small trauma, to be quite honest. And I said to the person, this was not, I didn't even have to say to the person, I stand and rep myself. The person said, ooh, not good. Yeah. Not the right yeah. time, not the right tenor. Not, and I just sat there. Mm. What was your intention? So this person had an opportunity to own all of those missteps and then turn and say, oh, I projected onto you what everybody says about me. Mm. And because I see you similar to me, I came for you. Yeah. yeah. Can you yeah. imagine that kind of transparency? Yeah, I, I, I see that as you created when you then came back to that person in a in a skill more skillful way or with curiosity or you brought a safe space in which that person could truly see themselves. Absolutely. You didn't have to point a finger from what you describe. They, because for some reason you were so receptive to who they were and, and curious. Right. And you did it in a way that provided a safety 
for something miraculous to happen. It changed their life. I'm sure. I'm convinced that it, it when we when we understand those aggressions that we do that come out of our unconscious mm-hmm. uh, right. behaviors and habits, then if it's safe enough, we change. Right. And to add to the yes, and the fact that I was willing to become the conditions necessary for possibility to take root. I became, as you say, that safe place, not only for him, but first and foremost for myself. I knew that if I could ask, what was your intention? That That's non-triggering. It puts the onus back on the person, giving them the opportunity to step into their truth and the opportunity to say, I'm not a threat. What does John Bradshaw say? He says, for true healing and love to take place, we must share our shame with someone who will not shame us for our shame. Look. Wow. Now, please unpack that for us. Uh, I, I know John has passed on and he's really one of one of our our mentors through now he's an ancestor so to speak speaking to us uh, right now in this moment so unpack that when you say the, about shame and and it lives so so vividly in our culture mm-hmm. so for me Justine Thomas my shame amongst many is that I and it's a, it's a, it's it's situated in a double consciousness for me like Dubois W Dubois stated the double consciousness of the African American and the American the hyphenated status so for me my shame is I I am unwanted. I was unwanted. And then I'm not good enough because my skin is black. So those two compounded shames means I'm not, I'm not enough. And it's easy. It's easy when my amygdala gets hijacked and the trauma response kicks in to forget that I am enough, to, to forget who I am in the face of opposing or what I am considering are opposing forces. And so my shame, when he made the statement he made, my some of my shame like I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. I'm not and 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 so forth. So I had to, I chose to first tend to the tear in my connection with what was true for me. 
and then get the vagal nerve involved and calm down. And I, I did so also by using the butterfly tapping. I am good enough. Uh, and you're crossing, just for people who are listening, you're crossing your hands across your chest like a butterfly and you're, you're connecting with your thumbs and you're tapping you, your, you, your yeah. chest, your I, heart center. Yes. So when I do that, I am love. I am perfect as I am. That releases that oxytocin, right? The, the connection hormone, because the brain doesn't know the difference, whether it's coming from the most nurturing maternal experience on earth or if it's, you know, coming from me. So that's a way to self-soothe and let my inner innocence know you're good. Not only are you good, but I got you. The good and enough you, mother, the good enough mother in me, she has you. That's beautiful. And and you gave us um, a way of, of self-nurturing, of self-care, of parenting ourselves physically. I mean, the body needs that. It's not, yeah. it's not just in our heads. No. It's, it, you're talking about uh, an actual physical, it lives in our body, the shame, the, 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 the different triggers that we might have, the sadness, the angers, the uh, uh, repulsions that we have. Uh, it lives in our body. Right. I mean, Let's give it up to our boy, Basil Von de Kolk, right? The body keeps score. That is, I get, I get spirit is clapping. I call what people call goosebumps. I call spirit is clapping because it recognizes the truth of, of what is told. Have you ever been around somebody who we say has an anointed voice? Do you yes. know what that is? Yes, Michael Beckwith of Agape has an anointed voice. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I, we're going to have to take a break. I'm I'm here with Regina Louise. She is the author of Permission Granted: Kickass Strategies to Bootstrap Your Way to Unconditional Self Love. I'm Justine Willis Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. Wasani, 
I'm here with Regina Louise, and we're talking about permission granted, how we can give ourselves permission. As you you talk about the importance of trust and presence and acceptance and faith and perseverance, but one of the things that you also talk about that I think is so important is dignity. Dignity. We've done interviews with Dr. Robert Fuller, and he's a physicist by training, uh, but he's an educator by vocation. One of his books is called All Rise, Somebody's, Nobody's, and the Politics of Dignity. It consists of practical strategies for confronting rankism in the personal and the public sphere for building a dignity movement. And so he's saying underneath racism, sexism, ageism, sexism, uh, gender binarism, underneath all of that is something called rankism. And it's a dignity for all. And I, you know, uh, I just want to talk about dignity and what that means to you and how important a role it is in our whole culture to bring it up and bring it forward. Where does dignity fit into all of this? Everywhere. It's the benchmark, watermark, cornerstone. If I go back to the 11-year-old in me who felt, I want respect. I didn't know it was that, but I could see the inequalities that were given to me as a result of my mother not choosing me, my mother not being a mother. And because everybody else around me had parents to stand for them, you know, so the sins of the mother, since my mother wasn't around to take the onus, to take responsibility for me, I suffered the sins of the mother. So first of all, I'm not getting seen, I'm not getting what I need, one, two, I'm being punished because I'm not getting what I need by the person, but you, you understand what I'm saying? So yes. I like a two for so dignity says, no, I'm not going to let you do that to me. No, I deserve respect. No, I am worth more then you are, are, are leading me to believe. And it's when we get so gaslighted. My entire life was a gaslighting disaster. You're not this, this, this. I mean, it just, just constant barrage of, of being judged, of being labeled. I grew up in a system, a system that's designed to perpetuate itself. I mean, we're those of us who want to know are very familiar with the, with the cradle to the prison pipeline. How 
men are set up to fail. We are I we, we can't even go into that. That's a whole other oh, a whole huge and, series of programs. Absolutely. Yeah. And the foster care industrial system. So systems do what systems do effectively. And part of that is dehumanizing humans. Whether it's children contained in cages at any border, that's dehumanizing. That is complete. That's, in my opinion, an attempt to erase your humanity, that very thing that defines what it means to be a spirit having a human experience. You are defiling that for no reason other than probably some bottom line that has everything to do with money. The foster care industrial complex is a $650 billion a year flat budget, and yet children leave disremembered and unaccounted for. So dignity is mirroring to those who are in your charge, love. You you matter. I sometimes have watched my partner with his children and, and the dignity, the, he's not the same person to me with or for me that he is with and for them. And these are young adults, 20s, you know, the tenderness, the respect that this human nets out to those other humans is enviable. And I've been able to watch what that looks like from other people, given it wasn't my experience. And now I'm able to give that to my own innocence, give that to my own inner child, even if I can't get it from a partner. You know, it's like, you know what? I am going to take the codependence that I learned as a, family value, a cultural heirloom, and I'm going to turn that into my superpower. And that's why I am a Hoffman teacher and I am a coach is because I've been able to take the very thing that robbed me of my dignity on implicit, rather implicit, codependent ways of being and pull that from the darkness into the light and then transform that deeply entrenched pattern into a deeply employable, highly employable superpower and skill. So now I hold space as a benevolent witness to get other people reconnected with their own self-worth, with their own need to have and experience respect. But before we can even know what that is, 
before we can even require that and request that from another human being. We must understand our own emotional signature around it so that we can be the arbiter, so that we can articulate, so that we can be. One last thing. I've heard people say throughout my life, we need hope. You know, you got to have hope as though hope were excited about being this passive possibility. I, in honor and in, and in, and in the efforting to embody my own dignity, I believe it's important to be a hope. Because if I am a hope, then I have my marching orders. And those marching orders is to be dignified and to come from that worth and to be the respect that I may desire from someone, but instead of all of that, that can become conditional and very tricky. Although I embody the qualities of hope, dignity on my own terms. You see, that's what permission is about. It's not even about telling someone about permission yet again. I'm all about verbs. I'm all about action, immediacy. Be your permission. As my book says, B-Y-O-P, bring your own permission. Exactly. And you, you encourage us to write out our own permission slips. Right. And you know what? I just had the permission slips designed and... Basically, the invitation is today, I give myself permission to say no, say yes, go big, play small, whatever that is, because that relationship must begin and end with us so that, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I look forward to that. I definitely look forward to getting uh, copies of that from you. I I just want to thank you so much, Regina, for being part of New Dimensions today and bringing your heart and your your wisdom and your insights. Thank you. So your story, and it's so encouraging. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing your platform with me as a Black woman. I don't imagine there are a lot of Black women in this field doing what we're doing right now. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes. I've been speaking with Regina Louise, and please go to her website to find out more of what she's offering. And her website is I am. ReginaLouise.com. Also, you can follow her on Instagram at, at the real Regina Louise. You got it. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3737. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.